This is Sweat Grime. Today we have special guests in the studio. So we have Lee Smith, we have Giorgio Carrera, and we have Edwin McCain himself, all here representing FAE. Welcome, Walter guys. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. So um, first of all, let's kind of fire this off. The way we met you guys was down in Orlando. Uh, when we went down there for AED, as you guys uh, maybe remember, we interviewed... Um, Congresswoman Fox down there. Uh, that was at the AED Summit event, and that's when we were introduced to Giorgio and Lee. And uh, tell us a little about yourselves, Giorgio. Why don't you fire off? How did you kind of come to be with FAE, and, and what's your backstory? Sure. Uh, I've been with FAE for uh, 17 years. I'm going to my 18th year now. Right. Always been in the uh, equipment business. And when the um, opportunity with FAE presented to me uh, 17, 18 years ago, um, I accepted the opportunity because it was a challenge because we were starting from scratch basically here in the United States. Mm -hmm. We uh, uh, wanted to build a market from zero and so I thought it was very challenging, interesting and motivating and so I came on board and here I am 17 years later, you know, we are rocking and uh, we are... Uh, kind of dominating the market right now uh, in the United States just like we do in the rest of the world. And again, my background is in the equipment. You know, uh, my dad used to work for a tractor manufacturer. One of my grandfather was a builder. The other one was a farmer. So always been in this type of environment. So to back up even further, because it's hard to understand that Southern Georgia accent. Well, <laughs> where are you originally from? Alabama. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I didn't recognize it. <laughs> now, when you, when you said it was challenging for the FAE, what was challenging at the time when you were accepting this job offer? Well, just because we had to start from scratch. So you're, you entering, you're entering a new market, uh, basically where the product is not present yet, and then you're going against, you know, the uh, American companies. Uh, obviously, you know, I was born and raised in Italy. Uh, FAE is Italian, that's where the product is built at, and we're bringing the product here in the country. So we had to go against the American companies, and so it was a question mark basically at the beginning. Uh, if we were able to enter the market, how we were able to penetrate the market, etc., etc. Um, you know, I think I had enough experience at that point in my life where. I kind of traveled all over the world for other manufacturers okay. and I kind of had an international type of mentality. Always loved the United States, always loved this uh, this country. And uh, so I, I was committed 100%. Well, we're glad you're here, That's Giorgio. Yeah. Now, what's your role at FAE before we move on to Lee? What's your entitled and what's your role right now? Sure, um, I'm the CEO of the company. And uh, so I supervise basically every uh, activity of the company, but we do have uh, managers like Lee for each department um, that we work end in end every day to you know grow the company and, and grow the business. And when we started at the beginning, we were like two people, myself and a girl in the office, and today we are 40 people. Wow. And awesome. we, st are we still growing. And wow. I'm going to brag on him, too, because what he didn't tell you is that he, ha he had a, another job with a very established company and was making a lot of money and, and made the decision you saw something to, to gamble that. So let's touch on that a little yeah. bit, Georgia. Yeah. What so did what you, you see at that mm -hmm. age when you were ready to take 
this huge step from a successful company to entrepreneur FAE? Sure. The challenge, the challenging thing was what got me really because, you know, starting something from scratch and make it yours to a certain point, uh, that what really interested me and and uh, you know n not just being a number in a gigantic company where I was coming from, but being somebody in a smaller company that is big and make it bigger and bigger. Uh, you know, to the point where now we are market leader. So That's you had amazing. some heartfelt and emotion behind this decision. It wasn't Absolutely. just a career change. So did you Absolutely. come to the U.S. through FAE, or was it through another manufacturer that you came over? Was through another manufacturer prior to FAE? Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the whole okay. idea was moving from Chicago to uh, Georgia. <laughs> to yeah. Georgia? What's that, what, that's that that's why move? you didn't recognize the Georgia accent. Is that a good move <laughs> climate-wise, Georgia? Yeah, yeah, do you miss Chicago at all? I, I love Chicago. It's a beautiful city. Uh, spectacular architecture. Uh, but I love the South. Yeah. I love Georgia. I love the South and everything that goes the with Georgia it. Georgia peaches. Awesome. And let's talk about your partner in crime here, yeah, Mr. Lee, Lee Smith. Right. What's the backstory? <clears throat> so, uh, I mean, I was with a dealer before coming to FAE and uh, really wasn't familiar with FAE at the time. Uh, so we, uh, we, we represented some other brands and uh, luckily we were uh, in a position where FAE needed a dealer for some demos, I believe it was, how we started out. That's right. And uh, we ended up um, kind of hooking up with FAE and became a dealer for them for about a year, year and a half. And, uh, and then that company was purchased by a larger manufacturer and uh, 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 something we, I just wasn't really interested in. So I just reached out to FAE for some potential for employment and you know, it, luckily it worked out. I started out as the parts manager and then have went from parts to service to warranty to product support to product manager. So you've got the whole food oh, chain under your belt. That? Yeah. Uh, 15 years ago. All right. 15 wow. years ago. And yeah. where are you from originally? I'm from Georgia. Okay. Right. Not, not Italy, if you can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's some of your backstory, uh, Lee? Because you got some pretty in-depth uh, experience in your resume before you even came to FAE. What were you doing even previous before, and how did you even get into the industry? Well, it's really crazy because uh, I did out of high school. I, I realized I wasn't the college type. So um, I wasn't the one that was either jail or the Navy, but it was close to that. So yeah. I, I went straight into the military after high school and uh, came out and worked in manufacturing for about 10 years. Um, and then that, that plant ended up moving to Texas and just wasn't interested in that. So just started looking around and, and found myself into an, a, a forestry uh, dealer that dealt with you know logging equipment, a lot of uh, knuckle booms, skidders, fellow bunchers, that type of stuff, horizontal yeah. grinders. And we did have uh, attachments at the time as well. So I got to be a service manager of those guys for a few years and really learn, learn the industry. You know, wow. um, To Giorgio's point about starting from scratch, you know, it was crazy because once, we, once I saw FAE, it moved up to the top of the of the list of quality but it was brand brand recognition you know right. it's like if your granddad had a ford and your dad had a ford you bought a ford exactly. yeah you know absolutely I mean? yeah. my dad worked for ford yeah. i drove for yeah. 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 i mean you're in big three territory yeah. here so we're absolutely. very familiar with that mentality <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how we were on the attachment side so when i met with giorgio you know it worked out um luckily we were able to combine some of the the his experience my experience and really start to develop a, a company, a, a brand, if you will, that was focused towards the guys in the woods. That's right. exciting. Yeah. And he yeah. was 15 years ago, so I mean, yeah. you've been part of that growth, yeah. you know. Yeah. Now, what's your, what's your role and title right now with FAE? So, uh, I am the product manager, so kind of what falls under my uh, umbrella is I'm in charge of the, so the service guys, the warranty guys, 
Um, I also have a team of product specialists that travel around the country to uh, help with dealer training, uh, demos, setups, um, things like that. And then I have another group back in the office called the production guys who, you know, we prep our machines, unlike some manufacturers, we prep our machines for the for the dealer. So when they leave our place 90% of the time, they're ready to go on a machine. Into the field. Into the yep. field. Awesome. So now, we have a group that does that as well. You're also, so you're, you overlook attention to detail constantly. Absolutely. So when you first came in and you started at the ground level with FAE, what was the attention to detail with the quality of this machine? What was it like compared to the other brands that were out there? I mean, could you just pinpoint the craftsmanship in this or was there something that stood out no it was well as the package really because just putting one side by side the the welding the the design it was just i mean you know it's almost like taking a pinto and a porsche and I, you know just because i'm not saying necessarily what's wrong with a pinto well, I mean, <laughs> Come on. The, the fuel tank fell I off mean, and just exploded. A slight, yeah, yeah, yeah slight yeah. error <laughs> so so it was like it was that was a huge step because you could see the design the, the you know for visibility for for the thought of the guy in the field but the coolest thing that ever happened for me was is i was working for fae for about a year before i went back to italy the first time um and and i had a list of things you know that i wanted to discuss and you know to see if we could make some changes and by the time i got there and started talking man it's like i was talking to the engineers and it was like uh, and they listened they lit well not only they listened but they said let's walk out in the shop and by the time i got out there 90 percent of my list was already being put implemented into oh, wow. all right wow. now Giorgio when you were when you were making these decisions ground up what kind of employees and what were you actually looking for to build this team as you were taking on this adventure they obviously people with experience you know and people that had my same motivation you know to to go from here to here mm -hmm. uh, basically and that's uh, to be honest with you it's been a challenge for for many many reasons uh, but eventually you know when I started getting two three of those quality and knowledgeable people knowledgeable people like Lee for instance everything was a lot easier um, because on paper everybody looks good. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. When yeah. you put somebody out in the field, that's a different story. Yep. That's a Correct. different ball yep. game, you know. Um, people can talk and, and and stuff like that, but you have to make sure that they say the right things, right, when they yeah. go out to represent a company. Um, so basically, quality, knowledgeable people coming from the from the industry, possibly, or somebody that can be trained. Yep. You know, in, that's huge, and, yeah. and go to a certain level. Yeah. Now, because as, as you guys were lot as you were launching these products, and you said these were new, what was new? What was the whole product? Is it just the mulcher head itself, or was there multiple different attachments as you were taking these steps? Was new to the United States. Okay. Uh, the products were there prior. Uh, but it was new to the market, you know, and we had to prove to the clientele, to the dealers and everybody else that was a, the right product for the country, for the market and, and everything else. So that was the main challenge. But along the way... Now, how did that go? You know, when you put it in front of them, did it take a while for it to take on? Well, the thing, the thing is, you know, they can immediately recognize the, uh, the quality of the product as soon as they started using and, and, and testing it and yeah. demoing, but then there's always a question on the back of your head. 
can this company support the product? Yeah, do they have yeah. parts? Do they have knowledgeable people? Because, you know, th that's the main question that came up all the time. And, and yes, we did, because we put 100% into, into this market at the beginning. We started stocking parts. Um, and again, to your point, hiring people that knew what they were talking about and knew what they were doing. And so it took a, a few years to prove that we were in the position to to um, service this and market, sustain it. Yeah, and and America, the American market is is tough. I mean, here people uh, are used to immediate response to uh, tough product um, and, and and whatnot. So we really had to put two hundred percent into it. And what was it Not like? That we wouldn't otherwise, right? But what yeah. was it like trying to kick those doors down and open that <laughs> relationship? Like, what were the hurdles that you would encounter? Going, I can't just service this tomorrow, right? Right. Uh, I mean, you walk in, into a door and, um, you know, yeah, you guys have a nice product. I tried it, et cetera, et cetera. But do you have parts? Do you have service? Do you have support, et cetera, et cetera? Here's just another guy from across the pond trying yep. to sell a product tomorrow and walk off tomorrow, you know, uh, in the next few days. And I'm going to be left here with a product with no service. Yep. So, I mean, I was there, out there 24-7, basically, to prove to people that, what we were doing was, uh, we were, you know, we were on a mission. Mm -hmm. But and I so, want to jump in here because yeah, I, one of the things that you're missing in, the, in telling of this story is that, is that what he was also doing is listening to what the dealers needed yep. from the product, like changes in the product that make the product better. And those changes happened so quick, right? They were so nimble with their engineering. Like if you needed a bigger push bar or a different, you know, that happened instantly, yeah. right? Yeah. So now the, not only do, are the dealers supported, but they're actually being heard. Like their yeah. ideas are showing up in the next model. And so you don't have, a service problem because now that's fixed right so you don't have to worry about service or support because it doesn't it's nothing's gonna break yeah right yeah i have a unit that i've been running for six years and i haven't even changed the belt wow right yeah i mean it's so so you know it, it speaks for it, itself it, it was yeah. it was more it was as much service support and also development right like like in real time which it for a lot of that's not something that normal companies can no, it's do unheard of. Yeah. right and the, and they were because of uh, the, the the factory in italy the the engineering and the team there they're they're nimble Right? right, they can take an idea like what, like Lee was saying. You know, they they get the idea and they're putting it into right. practice like quickly. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we got Edwin McCain here, guys, in house right now. And to touch on Edwin's backstory, Edwin, how did you <laughs> ever phenomenal. get into this industry? And let's talk about some of your backstories when you were a teenager before you had this high school sweetheart song that what? we all danced well, to. I, I was going to say, we have to times. set the stage here because in Orlando, we hooked up with Giorgio and Lee and they're like, we'd love to fly out and do a podcast. And we went, well, that's awesome. Yeah, let's absolutely do it. And they were like, by the way, we want to have our spokes guy, Edwin McCain, come out. And I'm like, man, that name really rings really a bell. Like, we had to go to Google. Yeah, it's been that long. Well, no, it was the context that I know Edwin McCain is not the context of a guy that's going to come talk about forestry heads. Like, yeah, it's no. the guy that was playing when I was holding my middle school dance partner four yeah, feet away. Yeah. Exactly. To, to hide the little, you know, yeah. little we, excitement. We thought on. they were bringing their singer-songwriter in <laughs> for moral support. I do a Google search and have whiplash because it is the Edwin McCain that's going to come 
talk about force. It was had, pretty so. amazing that text you sent out yeah. to us. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? We're like what? <laughs> that it really the confusion around my fun. my my presence in this industry and also playing music is one of my favorite things. Just watching yeah. people try to get their head around it. <laughs> like like somehow playing music excludes me from doing any other thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. Like, like I, I, but so just the backstory on it. I like a lot of people. Uh, I was do. I've always been doing entrepreneurial stuff on the side, like forever. I always have a side hustle. My wife, like from the beginning of our relationship, I always I have this talk with her every year. Like, all right, look, I don't know how much longer this music thing's gonna last. Like, I gotta, you know, I always have side hustles, and she just yeah. thinks it's hilarious. She goes, "You gonna give me that? I don't know how long this music <laughs> career thing's gonna last." Anyway. So in 2008, I got, uh, like, like a lot of people, I was in a partnership. I was a silent partner in a, in a development. It was like 16 acres in Charleston, in Mount Pleasant. Right. And my partners just kind of couldn't do it, and they sort of left me hanging with and it. how much experience did you have in Zero, this? None. Oh, zero. <laughs> no, absolutely no none. developmental, no development experience, no raw land experience. Like, I don't know a single thing. I know where this piece of dirt is, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Right? The quickest way so to learn what, what were is the, to is screw to up. Do. Yeah. <laughs> what were the emotions in your mind as you were looking at this and everybody's bailing? Like, what were you doing? Well, no, so I, my thing is and this is a weird, this i don't know if it's a character flaw or benefit but i when things start going bad i i i kind of get excited because yeah. now <laughs> i got to figure out how to fix this yeah. right yeah. like when the bus breaks down on the highway oh, and i got to climb under One it and fix on. a leveling <laughs> valve like i'm that's my happiest yeah right yeah. i don't like if it's going perfectly i mean cares right You're right like so now it's like all right and 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 back then too like all the the people started surrounding me and making lowball offers and every lowball, like every, all these bankruptcy type offers, you know, and I was like, every time that happened, I was like, <laughs> you know, and so I went, I learned how to do soil surveys and wetlands delineations and all this entitlement stuff that you needed to do to sell raw land. Um, and then the other argument was, well, it's too overgrown. We can't get in there. And I was like, all right, well, how much is it going to cost this. to clear this? Yeah. And then it was like, oh, well, it's going to cost 25 K to, to clear it off. And I was like, well, God, I'm going I'm to rent a machine and just do this. Right. So I rented a forestry mulcher. That was a company that would rent a, like a, a Terex PT 100 mm -hmm. and a, and a paddle wheel, you know, mulcher. And it was on those first, you know, for pretty much first generation of these things. Right. And, I got the guy showed me how to operate it. First of all, we got it stuck in the in the ditch. <laughs> perfect. Before we even got yeah, it on the site perfect. and had to get. A, so this was going well, right yeah, out yeah. the gate. No, it was the perfect perfect introduction to this life. Yeah, dude. So anyway, I you know he got me in there, showed me how to basically start it, and he just left. And so I just had to figure this out for myself. And so about an hour into it, I'm about halfway into uh, ACDC back in black and mulching my ass off in yes. this thing. And I said to myself, I was like, I got to have one of these. Yeah. I got to have one of these. I don't know why I need to own this, but I'm going to own one of these. Hell yeah. And, and that was the beginning of this whole journey. And it was just, it was just trying to solve a problem to begin with. Right. But, but very quickly. And as anybody that's ever run a mulcher on a piece of raw land, it's like, it conjures people. Yeah. Right? As soon as you start to run a mulcher, either people want to come watch. Hey, what's that guy doing? Or, yeah. or the developers <laughs> the going on over that, there? Think, that have had their eye on this piece of property show up going, wait a second, what's happening? Yeah. yeah. Like I want to, 
own this. It, you can like like you should just drive. A, if you can't sell a piece of property, just get in your mulcher and just drive back and forth across it. Somebody will. Somebody show will stop yeah. and go. Right. Hey, someone's building without their permission. And, and then you know, I, I cleared the property. You know, got it all figured out, fended off the offers, and eventually sold it for the right number. Nice. And, I, and that you. was sort of the my entrance into this whole thing. Now, fast forward years later, and I found a an old beater. PT 100 and a head and bought it. I made my dream come true. Right. So Edwin McCain with these millions made off of teen impregnations. Yeah. Yeah. As, just the, the, as like, a self-proclaimed yeah. cheap guy. Right. Right. And, I, and I'm still playing shows and stuff, but I had, yeah. I, had a, I had a farm at the time. And, and if you own any, any acreage, you yeah. know, having, you've got to have a tractor. Well, and it started with a forklift. Like, you know, I had a forklift at my warehouse for all of our stuff. And I was like, well, now nah, you can't not have a forklift. Right. And then that turned into the track loader. I had an old Bobcat that I got in the 80s era, like one of the 800 series Bobcats with the foot pedals that I got for free because yeah. somebody couldn't figure out how to get the, you know, anyway, long story short. Edwin, have you ever bought anything new? No, no, no. No? No. no. Not for the farm? No. How about new? <laughs> no, I mean, like, I'm the cheapest. They'll tell you, man. They la they laugh at how cheap I am. Like, they know. You're going to put this head on that machine. Dude, <laughs> I asked them legitimately. I'm so dumb. I was so d stupid to the thing. Like, I was like, can I put one of your, like, uh, soil reconditioners on the back of my 86 era Alice Chalmers? And they're like, yeah, no, no, no. You, the, you're not in our, you're not in the right, like, century right now <laughs> so George, has, has there been any regrets on that front that you here's this guy supposed to showcase your equipment and it's on the back of a ratty old bobcat skin <laughs> yeah absolutely, absolutely now he takes care of the use the equipment he's running the equipment like a champ Dude, for, that, for sure yeah that pt100 once i got it all put back together it's a beast that's like, awesome it's a, no but but <laughs> so fast forward to the whole the thing with Georgia, like it was sort of this serendipitous thing we have a, a mutual friend that's a musician and uh he reached out and was like hey uh there's this company in atlanta that wants you to do some music and do some stuff and i was like dude what do they do well they they make forestry mulchers so i was like well i have let to me tell you something and i sent him a picture of my machine and it had the wrong head on it which yeah. flared the whole thing and like within a week he that that head was sitting in his parking lot and we we, we had our deal together that was like six years ago yeah. and um and and but this is the the important part of this whole story this has never been about anything other than the friendships yeah, the relationships yeah, that's awesome. like yeah. the currency in this life and let me say this as clearly as i can because money will come and go and we all know this the, the currency in this life is the relationships that you make absolutely and, and i don't i don't waste time w without good relationships sure, right yeah. and as soon as i met giorgio and lee and i was like well this is one of those great adventures i can't wait to go on because these that are good, awesome. these are good people Sign me up. this is going to be yeah. fun like let's see let's go see what happens here and yeah. it's just been it's been hilarious like we've had the best time Absolutely. doing this now giorgio yeah. what's it like having edwin on speed dial to crack a couple jokes with <laughs> throughout this adventure well, we, we talk once in a while and, you know, on the phone about everything, you know, how, about the family, about, you know, the mulching, about the music and here and there. I mean, it's, it, we became good friends over the years and uh, it's just fun. I mean, it's just fun. 
We went to Italy together, man. You, you know, there you can go to Italy, but if you go to Italy with an Italian, you get it's the a real deal experience. So you get the best tour guide. Oh no, it's just it's just so much cooler. It's like like he walks in and starts saying something to somebody, and all of a sudden you're legit too. Everything nice. like you know what I mean. You're just so not you a tourist. The Olive Garden experience. No, you, you got get, the real yeah, deal. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> our tour of Italy around here. Just, just <laughs> some, you know, the, the, a little bit of the ugly American thing just sheds yeah, right off. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Just the cool awesome. factor goes off, you know? So as an American, what was the coolest part of going to Italy? Uh, just the, f- the food, honestly. That's just anywhere you go. What really like, excites I, me like, about see, it. Like, no, I'd be like 400 pounds of it. Yeah, dude, let me just explain anything. Like, <laughs> just... The food in gas stations is ridiculous. Like, really? you know, oh yes, oh, yeah. not but like forget. our sushi at the gas station. No, no, you don't understand. <laughs> like, you don't understand every single thing. The other thing too is there the the as a culture too. They it's like they're not sweating. There, there's none of that, like, like sense of tension. Like everybody's just waiting for something to go wrong so they can just go off about it. Man. Yeah, slayed <laughs> uh-uh. back. The, the, the coolest thing ever. Like I was, the, the, I saw this old man riding a scooter and he had a windshield that looked like a riot shield. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was literally eight feet tall. I, he had, and he had come up with like he had fabricated all these mounts to somehow get it attached to the front of the scooter. It was crazy looking. I was like. Why does he have such a huge windshield? He's smoking a cigarette oh, that's <laughs> while nice. he was riding. He the made a, a windshield big enough for him to be able to smoke while he rode his scooter. And I don't know if you could be any cooler than the 80-year-old guy smoking a cigarette on your scooter in Chow. And I, think, yeah, I, mean? I feel like that's, Dude, that's, that's the pinnacle of Italian health right there. Was, yeah. <laughs> and, and he was heading over to his girlfriend's house. I guarantee it. I'm 100% I mean, sure of it. And I was like, well, you know what? We're never going to be as cool. That, that, right, that right there kind of gives the backstory what's start setting italian equipment apart from the american like we do it just to get by they actually put fucking thought in all of this it sticks yeah. around. Well, yeah. okay so case in point so the the grease points are on the back of the head and then there's a there's a guard that just goes around it and it's just got it's slightly angled down so it doesn't fill up with anything i mean it's like come you mean on. you're not running them on top with all the debris that could break and off and fill it up there. full of garbage yeah and the, and the welds are beautiful and the and the paint is thicker, and it's just all. I gotta the, say, it's, it's a pretty sexy things. head, I, yeah. dude. It's all the things, right? Yeah. And, I, and then, and then, so you know, they don't, they don't. Uh, the president of the company, uh, we go over to into Italy, and and Diego, and I'm like, within five minutes, I'm like sitting in the guy's office, and he's asking me yeah. like, what are some things you would like to have on the machine? And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> 50 cal machine gun. Yeah, right. Right. No, I mean, no, but we had like, we had these, was this amazing discussion and I was like, well, that's why, right? Because a lot, so when, and when I was with Atlantic records, my biggest complaint with the record company was they were always top down, right? They would have top down information yet the local radio reps they're talking to the program directors every single day. They're friends with these guys. Yeah. They know what music works in what region. They know what they know. They have a. They're they know on the, the ground. Yeah. Right? Yep. So so they would know which songs would work 
But nobody was listening to these guys. They weren't even allowed to suggest anything. It always came top down. And that's why you'd have these string of failures instead of listening to what works. And so with them, they were listening to what works right out of the gate. And I was like, aha. Yeah. You know, that's Good why it's going to work. Yeah. Jump in. Yeah. Well, I want to add to that because uh, the first time I met Diego was in the United States. You know, I was out there and I was making some modifications to a motor. And I had like five of them to do. And, you know, the first time when I went to Italy, he wasn't there. So I never met the guy. So I'm sitting there. I'm in there. I'm all greasy. He shows up, and he's got his suit on. He's got his nice shoes. And, you know, he goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm pulling these sleeves out of these motors. And he goes, huh. He goes, you got to do all these? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, five minutes later, the guy's got his jacket off, his sleeves rolled up, right. cigarette oh, out of awesome. his mouth, and he's doing one of the motors. And, awesome. and who is Diego for the people that don't understand? Uh, Diego is the uh, president of the company and one of the, in Europe. Of, of the original mm -hmm. oh, founders. Wow. All right. So, wow. Yeah, in Europe. Yeah, he's basically Does he have a scooter the with a windshield, too? If it does, also, it goes a thousand <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> so so FAE's been on kind of the backstory of everybody's all in on their products. This isn't just a, we pass all along the buck. Like you run into a couple other companies and won't name some names, but you'll, the service is horrible. You go buy an attachment and it's hard to get the back parts or you're having an issue. And it's like, well, you already bought that, you know, down the road, you kind of go best of luck and you're kind of bounce around through some other dealerships to get what you need or the part and service and quality. But your guys' approach is everybody's kind of been all hands on from the top down. Absolutely, from the top down. And the philosophy of the company is also to reinvest all the profit in developing all these type of departments and service and yep. having enough inventory and et cetera, et cetera. So because the, the focus is on the customer, the yep. final customer. He's the one that determines our future. Yeah, okay. okay? We're, it's not us. Well, to a certain point, he's asked to make sure that, <laughs> yeah, right, sure, you know what sure, I mean? Yeah. Make sure he's happy and the machine is always working. But if you don't do it right, I mean, things flip very quickly. And yeah. it goes back to the original question, I'm sorry, Edwin, about when you were asking Georgia about hiring people. One of the things I think was left out that he looks for that makes us above is passion. Yeah. Guys that yeah. work for us, if they're passionate about our product and our, and our customers, I mean, if people are passionate, they care. Yeah. How, how do you look at an employee that you're interviewing and you could see the passion that's going to fit your mold? You know, I, 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 I try to ask questions that may stumble somebody up a little bit, you know, because ours is a manly industry and then service is a manly department. But bottom line, we're all customer service. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. So I try to kind of feel, feel them out on how, what their mindset is on things like that. And when I hear that their, their concern is or their goal is to make the product better and the customer happy, that's... But you guys have taught people how to be passionate too. That's important because a lot of people, you know, like I, you know, I see a lot of the sort of malaise in the eyes of some of the kids that we talk to at the demos and stuff. And then they see like, they see purpose, right? And you can teach and, and, and they're drawn to that because, you know, everybody wants to have purpose and they want to be authentic and nobody. And, but, and the reason why they're, there, there's a hesitancy that comes off as people trying to be cool because I don't want to look stupid or I don't want to seem like I'm not knowledgeable. Yeah, right. But, but the difference is, is that you kind of show them how to be a part of this yeah. culture, right? And and people want to be a part of winning cultures. I mean, right. that is that's that's a proven over and over and over again. Almost definitely. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is that's that's really something that is often overlooked especially over here in the u.s where it's very much the the corporate uh, america world is that 
culture comes from the top. It comes from an example at the top. Right. And it distills down through the rest of the company. And so many companies don't recognize that. Yeah. They just want to crack the whip and tell the employees, be passionate, yep. be passionate. Right. And it doesn't work that right. way. Right. But it comes from with like the accidentals. So, so with me, I have had situations where power goes out on a big show. Right. And there's nothing, there's nothing that's going to fix it. Right. And some people will get mad and storm off and whatever. I grab an acoustic guitar, dive out into the middle of the crowd, live stand yeah. on a stool and sing as loud as I can for an hour and a half. And people walk out going, okay, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like let's Roll make the best it. out of yeah. this. Right. So, and, and so when there's a problem, there's also an opportunity, there's right? A solution, and yeah. so I, it's always been my mantra, but when we, we first started hanging out, there was a shipping problem with, with, uh, Giorgio and some customers and he, fixed it by loading these multer heads onto a, fra- a, a plane. cargo plane <laughs> and to your financial detriment and made it happen That's for awesome. a customer in Texas. And at that point I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. And, and why, is that, why is that so important, Giorgio? Why would you take that step to just perform like this? Like what, what's this mean to you guys? Well, I gave my words to the, in that specific case, I gave my words to the customer. He will receive the machine by a certain time and something happens like edwin said early with the with the freight company etc so i made my promise i whatever it's gonna take i'm gonna pay the, the machine on the wall on, on the on the on the airplane fly to texas customer won't even know anything how happened. he yeah. got there he gets his machine, so he goes to work. Right. Yep. He didn't even but, know that Giorgio did that, right? On top of all of that, right? So that was like, for me, like, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm trying to raise children to be dependable human yep. beings, right? And, I, and, I, and I, I've told them this story a hundred times about that. I was like, you want to know what an example of being a dependable human being is? That. Absolutely. Right so there. I, that's another thing that in corporate America has gone away. It's so much of the cutthroat. We need to make as much money as possible. You lose the integrity. And what people don't understand is integrity is everything. I mean, Absolutely. relationships. Yeah. Everything. What yeah. stood out last night is, is you guys talking about it's a handshake deal between right. the two of you. Right. Like you don't hear of that in the corporate world anymore. And no. that is awesome. I, did, I had that in the music business. Can you believe that? Did like, you really? I still do. I don't have any... I don't have any, any contracts, contracts with any of the companies that I work wow. with. Wow. Like I literally, I look them in the eye and shake their hand and that's, and, and I've never had a problem. But I've the only reason you can do litigation. that is because you have the integrity that people can trust your word. Uh, and, and that's, if you don't have that, you don't have anything. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and exactly. You know, you know who you're talking. dealing with, you know, you're authentic, you're original. What you say goes, and there's no turning back or pushing someone to get out of the way. Like, if we're doing this together, we're doing this together till the end. There's no, I'm going to trip you down the road to get ahead of you. Right. But as, but as you know, we were talking last night about as as contractors, right? Yeah. Like, I get so much work just by f- having to go fix somebody else's half-assed A job. A third of our industry anymore. And, and, and I have customers that are just so happy that I showed up on time, came in under budget, and then I did some little extra thing for them that to me is not that big a deal, but to them, man, they, you know, huge. they know you care enough yes. and they, go the distance and, yeah. and, you, yeah. and you listen and you, you know, it, it seems deceptively simple. You just right. do a good job. Absolutely. Yeah, right? And you nailed it right there. Cause a lot of our industry anymore, we find ourselves up here. We're cleaning up a third of everybody else's mess. Right. Yep. And a lot of it is 
they're running around with junk and not that the things that don't break our equipment breaks we have downtimes we have issues i'm constantly calling brian and we are jumping through hurdles wrenching on equipment getting we're running around getting parts keeping things up running when we should be spending time with the family but we gave the word that the job will start monday will be finished by friday and a lot of the stuff is the just the upkeep so our biggest thing on this whole industry where we're at now is we're looking at spending the better money for the quality products for no downtime. Yep. And that's well, what sets just, us apart. I'm right listen, there. I've never had to, I've never been down because of my, my head, my FA. I mean, like I've never, yeah. that's never been a part of a thing. Well, so one thing I did want to touch on too, we're, we're kind of in the vein of talking about integrity as a contractor. Um, a lot of guys don't realize we're in the business as we all know, where it's a rush to the bottom. Everyone's yep. going to undercut everybody, and, and we don't do a good enough job of selling value. But at the same time, if you have that integrity there, you can go to customers and say, look, I know I'm spendier than the other guy, but here's a list of five references you can call, and they'll tell you, right. I do the little things for you. I yeah. show up the day I tell you I'm going to be there. That's how you go to sell that value. But first, the integrity's got to be there. Yep. I'm, I always say, I, I will always want to be in the top third of the bids. Yeah. 100%. Right? Yep. Like that's, that's where I want to be. And, and I'm, I'm totally fine. But, but part of that is I run really lean and mean, right? So like I have, I have two, you know, Ford F four fifty trucks, but I only paid 8,000 bucks for them. Right. you like, you know, I mean, this, this is a seven three and I know how to fix them. Those, yeah, those are yeah, good running I trucks. Turn, I turn, like, you know, I, we don't show up with, we don't show up with brand new equipment. Uh, but I promise you, we don't, we're not down either. Cause yeah. I have backups, right? Yep. So I always run backups anyway, but it's, it's, but it's the process of, of, of trying to think ahead to be able to be effective and, and not have to tell, give somebody an excuse. The worst thing in the world is I have to look at some landowner and go, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to finish this week. Yeah. And I said, I would. And, and you want to, you want your employees to work through you with that same integrity. Like if they back into a car, they hit something, oh, yeah, they admit the fault right then and there, instead of coming to you and going, I don't know how that happened. And oh, you yeah. know, you got to go oh, face the, the homeowner and the problem. You're the only person here. You're going to cut them loose with something that shreds trees right. within yeah. seconds. Yeah. Right. And you're just going to let them go. Bye. Yeah. Now, how did you actually come into the whole contracting industry in the forestry mulch? I know we touched on it a little bit, but so here you, you are. Yeah. So if you own a machine, it's like a lake house, man. You just never knew how many friends you had until you had <laughs> yeah. a machine. Like, I, I, own, I, own, I, had, I finally bought a machine and I was using it and doing a bunch of stuff for me. And then I have my friends have hunt properties and I was doing little things for them. And then all of a sudden the work started showing up, like random strangers yeah. that were friends of friends were calling me to do jobs. And I was like, this is turning into a thing. And so I incorporated and, uh, and, and just, and, and became legit. You know, I mean, I, I took my one little machine and, you know, I, I, I bonded and insured and, you know, it went from my one little PT 100 to now, you know, three track loaders and, uh, big, uh, you know, 18 wheelers and dump trailers and bulldozers and the whole thing. Right. And, but, but it's, it was always just sort of saying, yes, it's like, well, okay, can you do some rough grading? Yeah. Can you do finished grading? Yes. And, and so it just expanded the things I was doing. It yeah. was started out. I was just doing uh, mulching for large track recreational hunt properties. Right. Okay. And now I'm, I'm doing everything from that to, 
you know, big commercial developments for casinos. I mean, it's, wow. and it's everything awesome. in between, right? Hey, my granny needs a new culvert in front of her house. Okay. Yeah. And, and we can go as big or as small, which is nice, right? And But I prefer the little jobs. I like the little stuff that nobody else wants to do. Yeah. So know? I want to get into how you've kind of grown your business and, and all of that. But at the same time, let's take a quick break. we got to switch some batteries out and everything. And, uh, and we'll, we'll get into that afterwards. I had to. I had to. <laughs> you, so good. You can walk I, in. I feel it. like Edwin, I should, he would just sing a little for me. Any of his intro. I could. Strings in your eyes. The color them wonderful. Stop me. Steal my breath. You managed to pull it off. <laughs> you got him to sing. I yeah, love it. it. <laughs> Dude, are you kidding me? Like this song, like honestly, you can't. It's like I, it was a half court hook song, hook shot at the buzzer. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. I got the record company president, who I'm dear friends with to this day. Uh, he called me. He was always really honest with me. He said, "Look, man, I just left a department head meeting, and they're talking about dropping you off the label because my first album had only sold like a couple hundred thousand copies, and uh, back then that was bad. Yeah, in the okay. '90s, man." People were regularly selling half a million, million, you know, and uh, he's like, whatever, the next song you turn in needs to be great. And I was like, okay, I got this one song I just finished. I really think it's good. And, uh, you know, but the truth of the matter is it didn't take off immediately. And the record company did not uh, push it initially. They put it out on three stations and we ran a circus of friends going into record stores, buying the album, sending them to us. We would resell them at our shows. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Cause you had, we had to you show, make a movement. Yeah. Well, we had to show some kind of numbers, some kind of sales or the, or Atlantic was done. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, and you can't only do that for a minute. Plus we only had like, I think we, I think we were down to our last like $25,000 or whatever. And we were like, all right, well let's throw all of this at this, at our little, at our little rascal, rascal scheme yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> and so we got the the record company saw a little blip in sales because of us <laughs> and then they put it on dawson's creek they put the sales went from like nine nineteen hundred a week to nineteen thousand what a good show yeah. i'm gonna have to binge that and that, <laughs> and, and that was it that, that was, was it. some creative yeah. thinking edwin well so so but it comes back to what are you willing to do right you if you're like i called my manager who was a friend of mine from college at the time he had his mba and so we we had we had gone all this way together you know from indie band to signed label artist and i called him i was like you know this is it this is the fourth quarter we're at the end of this so yep. how much how bad do you want this right we gotta this is this is got what are we gonna do what are we willing to do to make this happen and by then i i was literally playing 300 shows a year i mean i was i was playing as many shows as i could possibly play i had call lists of every program director in the country i would get up at seven o'clock in the morning and start banging the phones and uh and i had you, you were either going to play my song or I was going to show up until you did the, play yeah, my song. Yeah. Like it was, you, you could, I already have no, I have a whole truck full of no. Sure. Right. So the only thing I'm getting out of you is maybe or yes. And so I just hammered the phones every, every day. And I did every single stupid 
idea they came up with. I played on top of vans. I did hot dog parties at people's houses. I actually played in a drive-through window at a Krispy Kreme where one window had a priest and you got married. And then you drove down to me and I played a little bit of I'll be. <laughs> and it was like, what, so what, what? you were hungry. Like right? what? Well, because you got, I mean, my whole life what was your passion, right? My whole life. I, 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 I was dyslexic when I was a kid. I couldn't read. And if you can't read when you're in an elementary school, elementary school sucks. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. but I could sing and, and music sort of like saved me out of this sort of bad situation when I was a kid. Okay. And, and so I have, I had this, this bond to music that like it's saved me. I'm going to do everything I can do. Right. And at that point too, I, you know, I still have a, a same band I've had for 30 years. Right. So Is it really all the yeah, same guys and, wow. and crew, not all the same guys, but most like my guitar player, my sax player and sound, I mean, my band, the, the, the bass player drummer, they've been 15 years. So okay. yeah, it's, it's so, it, so, and, and so I don't, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, Loyal to a fault, I guess, if you want to say that. But that was the the idea. Is like I got all these guys that have been, yeah, they've been ride or die with me. Like this can't fail, right? This has got to happen. Now I've got to be honest. You know, you've made it in life when you can casually toss out my sax guy. Like who has a sax guy? Right, right. A sax player, right, Craig. So yeah, no, he, I he, got some sax. Yeah, he's been. And I'll tell you what's funny too about it is is it. It, you know why sax players never have to say anything is because they're just in possession of the estrogen bazooka. Like they don't have to say anything; they just pull out their saxophone. It's like, oh god, here we go. Okay, oh, man. Never, so you if you have a sax player in your band, you're not the coolest guy. Well, I was in your just band. about to say, as as kind of the front man and the lead guy, your your name's on the album. The no, sax I, guy's really the one. No, tearing I'm up. a clown. I, I work for the sax player. I work for my sax player. That's exactly it. You ever see the women that walk by and he starts? Playing the saxophone, you're like, really, man? We got to go there again. <laughs> no, no. Playing listen, the way that you no, are. <laughs> no, no joke. Like one of the first, like when we first started playing together, it was the two of us when he's playing this little college bar, and you know, as always, the hottest woman is sitting right in front of him, listening to him play saxophone, and she pulls a cigarette out of her purse. He's in the middle of playing oh. a solo. He reaches in his, in his pocket, pulls this is out a lighter. A little bit, just listening. Pulls to out a lighter, <laughs> lit this woman's smoke while he played. While he was playing, wow. and I was like, "Yeah, who's competing?" It's in the back. I just throw down the guitar. Yeah, I'm dude, out. What am I, yeah, what am I doing with my big head over here? Like, now, when you were young and you were taken off in this music career industry, what was the emotion like, and how did you try to keep your head? so level and then keep your family in mind as things were evolving. I didn't. I mean, honestly, I, when I was younger, I, I wanted to be David Lee Roth. I would have Just been partying. like wearing spandex yeah. and being like the mightiest <laughs> rock star of them all. Like yeah. if you let me be, if, if it had gone the way I had seen it, I would have been a complete jackass. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and at times I was, but the difference, the thing that made the difference was the culture of the bands that we were around coming up. Right. So we were with, uh, I was playing with Colonel Bruce Hampton a lot and Warren Haynes and, and Bob Weir and Hootie and the Blowfish and, uh, you know, Dave Matthews. Like, imagine this. Like, we were all playing fraternity houses. There was a, yeah, there was yeah. a weekend at WNL where it was Dave Matthews, 
us, Hootie and the Blowfish, the Grapes, and Jacko Pierce all playing in Fraternity yeah, that's House. That's like that's my playlist on Spotify right now, right? <laughs> yeah. right? And then a month later, everybody's playing stadiums, right? Yeah. It, it, that was how crazy it wow. took off. But, wow. but all of those bands, and especially the Hootie guys, who I was with a lot, like, they never took themselves too seriously. Like, they never, like adopted the persona right and i would have happily adopted the persona you know what I mean? like i like i yep. you know and so and i was young so i i i was lucky enough to be around really good people when i was at an impressionable age that that basically set a boundary it was like you know if you want to be around for a while you're gonna have to like be authentic and be nice and not be not just assume that you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Right? So going back kind of when, when did you kind of make the decision? I don't want to just do music for fun anymore. Like I want to, I want th this is my goal. I want to go be a musician. <laughs> so the truth of the matter is I was in college at the college of Charleston. I should say I was enrolled. Sure. I didn't actually go, <laughs> yeah. but yep. I, uh, did you enroll yourself? Yeah. And I crashed a car. I crashed a friend of mine's car and I owed like four grand on fixing it. And I didn't have the money. And I, and I had played in bands in high school. And so I had an acoustic guitar and I just, I, I went and got, I went and got a song book together and like learned like 20 songs and uh, started busking out on the streets That's awesome. in Charleston. And just to make some extra money, I was working doubles as a pizza cook and I, you know, I was like, I was like 18, you know, and, and this, I was right in front of this Mexican restaurant in the, in the market down in Charleston and the manager of the place came out and he said, Hey, he'd seen me out there busking. And he's like, dude, can you like come play on our deck? Like three nights a week, I'll like, I'll play, I'll pay you 75 bucks and feed you a meal. Heck yeah. And uh, I dropped out of college the next day. I was like, I'm rich. <laughs> I <made it>. <laughs> <laughs> what was that journey like though, from the pizza place to you started escalating and searching for this career in the music world? Well, so, so, and I, like a lot of people, that was sort of my, the first time I was ever successful at anything. All right. And so, man, that is, that is powerful medicine. Right. And as soon that sets as that's that drive, right. Yeah. And as soon as I could do, I, I could do it. Like I, it just, it, I went from playing the three nights a week at the Mexican place. Then I got another two nights of the thing. And then I, I, I moved down to Hilton head Island, South Carolina and started playing 10 shows a week. And I, I put in my 10,000 hours, my Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. Yeah. And, and nobody told me, I didn't know that you can't, shouldn't play 10 shows a week. Why not? Why wouldn't you? Sure. Right. If you can get the gigs, you yeah, should play the it. gigs. Like, yeah. like I, I, other songwriter, other singer, songwriter guys are like going, what? Like I would play three on Saturdays. I would play Shoot. 12 to four at one place, six to 10 at another place. Or at Salty Dogs. And, no, no. It was the Tiki Hut. <laughs> nice. In the right, Brian right. the Hilton yep. Holiday Inn. Yep. Daddy's Axe. Uh, no, I would play Sneakers, which is out at Hilton Head Beach in yep, tennis yep. from 6 to 10. And then Daddy's Axe from 1030 to 130. That's awesome. And, and it was all cash. Yeah. And, but, you know, you had to figure out, like, if you can figure out how to capture and entertain a bunch of tourists that aren't really there to see you play. Yeah, they're not committed. Then you, you learn how to 
play to an audience, right? Yeah. Like, uh, like you're basically working in a hostile condition, sort of, right? Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're trying to figure out how to, how to make it count. And, uh, that was sort of my trial by fire. That was the, and I was making a really good living, uh, at that point. But then there was a, the rock club in town was where all the touring acts would come through. And I was like, all right, this is the next step. And then I left the safety of the, that job and, you know, went into debt to try to make it to the next level. But I can't stress this enough. Timing was everything, right? Yeah. So the time, so I say this all the time, when we were, was equally as important as anything we did. Yeah. Right. So it, this was 91, 92, 93. It was still the big time music industry was as big as it was ever going to be. Yeah. People were still selling physical product. I mean, CDs and the whole thing and, and, and MTV. Yeah. MTV. <laughs> and, 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 and companies like Atlantic were spending millions of dollars to promote people like me. Yeah. Right. And, and, that that was a period of time that's now gone right that's yeah. not there anymore so yep. so uh, the timing was incredible like we got to ride the last wave of the big time music industry and i i was in that perfect slot of being able to be part of the old school music business that's awesome as it transitioned into what it is now but i mean i literally i played shows with bb king I played oh, with ray man. charles i played i mean i played with that's awesome I, i'm friends with michael mcdonald and and we played shows we i was so lucky to be able to be around the greats yeah, yeah. and and have that sort of uh i mean we were on tour with the allman brothers for two summers in a row and like you really learn how how to be in this for a lifetime when you're around legacy acts like that, yep. that have been doing it their whole lives. Right. And BB King, the lesson with BB King was he finished his show and then put on a smoking jacket and then sit in his bus and meet anybody that wanted to meet him. And he would no just they'd bring them on his bus three at a time. And he would sit there till five o'clock in the morning. Wow. And I was like, wow. look, if anybody's earned a pass, it's BB King. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And he doesn't yeah, do that. Right. And so that was like, for me, that was important. Like for lesson early on, like if somebody like after so if people are waiting to meet, you meet everybody that wants to meet you. Yeah. I mean, unless you're sick. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Did you ever have a mentor or role model come alongside you that like you just gravitated to and you're like, I want to be like this guy. M musically. From a songwriting standpoint, uh, it was a guy named David Wilcox, right? Right. But from a soul perspective and as a leader, it was Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire. Yeah. Right? Wow. Okay. So Maurice White was sort of the the patriarch of of this great organization and, and what he had to say like in his music and, but David Wilcox was like a songsmith, like his, his ability to, to tackle like these real complex human situations and distill it down in three and a half minutes. And it's not for everybody. And I've, I honestly, the, I, the fact that we had this massive hit song that went on and on and on is, is amazing. And it's a, it's a gift. I don't understand because that's not what I was aiming for. Right. Yeah. And I never expected everybody to get what we were doing. Like I, I just wanted it to be honest and emotional. Yeah. And I wanted the people that need to find this to, to be there. And it's not for everybody. Right. But 
I found this niche and we still play 50 to 70 shows a year and the shows sell out. And it, you, if you, if you ask me to, to tell you what the perfect life for a musician is, I'm in it. And I have to remind myself that when I was 15, I would have absolutely crawled through a river of fire to be the 52 year old that I am now. So it occurs to me, one thing, one thing that you're talking about musicians, especially everyone has the mental image that you guys sit in your bus and snort Coke off of strippers. (laughs) Like that's the life. But, but the reality is like you guys have to hustle just like everybody else. It's, you've got to go through that period of it just being an absolute grind because it's a, it's a labor of passion on your part. And then if you just happen to get everything that lines up, like you make it to the big time. And I feel like that's really applicable to the guy that's sitting in the cab of the skid steer that once has these grandiose ideas of starting his company. Like it doesn't matter what you're doing. You've got to grind. You've got to put in the work. You got to like all of it. Right. So I drive our bus most times in on tours now, you know, I, I had my CDLs uh, for a long time, but, but I changed the generator oil. Like I do, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I, you, you gotta, you gotta like all of the things. Like if you want to be in any industry, it's like Diego, right? It's like, if you, you gotta know how to, you gotta know how to turn a wrench. Like if you're, if you can't change a starter out on a machine or an alternator, like you can't you're be, done. you can't be in this business, yeah. right? Like yeah. you, you literally, if you can't do some basic wrench turning stuff, you're in, you can't change tracks out. Like you don't do this. Yeah. Right. And if you're like, that's not, and, and you got to like all of it, right. You right. got to like the challenge of it. And it's not going to be a spring afternoon, 72 degrees. Like you're going to have to be out there when it's Rain. freezing cold and raining. And, and, yep. and, and you got to like that. You got to like the challenge of that. Um, and if you're not up for the challenge, then don't do this. Yeah. Right. And it, music like contracting is all of it. Right. And it's the integrity of being willing to do whatever it takes that sets the example for the next generation that's coming along. And, and if you think we're not bonded to that next generation, you're wrong. Right. And it's the same right with on. the music industry. Right. Like, like I, I did free shows to get kid rock songs added because he was new on our label. Right. And we always help each other up. Right. Yeah. And so the same thing I hired, we, I met this kid on a demo for FAE and out of 70 kids, he was the only one. What were you doing at the demo? I was running a PT 300. Mm. Oh, not the 100. I was running a a big Pronto like machine, like the big monster. And, uh, quite aggressively, I might add, as you (laughs) true story. Like they saw the undercarriage a couple of times. I had it up on its toes and, um, that my boy, we got done, uh, and, and it was like 70 Agmet kids, but out of all these kids, only one of them came up to me and said, Hey man, are you hiring? I was like, I'm hiring you. Cause you asked. Yeah. And so I hired him. Have a job for him. He, yeah. He worked. No, I made him help me paint my house for the first like six months. And then, <laughs> but then we, we kind of grew the company and, and, uh, uh, my job, my job with him. And like I told him, I was like, your, your job with me is to get your, your feet and then leave me to be successful. And so he's left to do his own thing now. That's awesome. And he's, but he's like building like refrigerators for Walmart. He's like, that's you know, cool. but it, but it was, that's sort of our responsibility as stewards 
Like once you've had, you got to pass the torch, right? But the but the it's important if you have a successful career that, that it also includes a component of stewardship for the next generation that's coming up. Mm-hmm. That so you can pass along the value and um, and then sit back and be proud. Yeah, right. That's, I'd like to touch on that for just a second with your brain. You're talking about passing the torch. Now, if somebody was on the fence right now in the skid steer excavator and they've already mastered the skill and they're thinking about taking the next step or somebody that's going to transition from playing the music from the patio and trying to get further down the career, what advice would you give them to keep the drive and the flame alive and going through the gauntlet of hell that they're going to encounter? Um, Every appreciable gain I ever made was preceded by some excruciating failure, right? Whenever some big failure comes, that is a lesson that you're, you need to learn and a challenge for you to overcome. And it galvanizes your ability to be effective later, right? I, I honestly, when the failures occur, it should be, you, you should take it as, as a talisman for greater things that are coming, right? Because if you just go, oh, well, guys, why does this always happen to me? Yeah. yeah. Now you got, you're, stay you're getting, you're about, you, you just now have been presented with an opportunity, right? Yeah. Like this is not a failure. It's an opportunity it's for an you opportunity to learn, to, grow. to learn yeah. about yourself and, and, and an opportunity for you to, to persevere and, and become more powerful. Right. That's, That's great. it. So one question I have, you know, kind of going back to the whiplash we all got when Edwin McCain was going to talk to us about forestry vultures, yeah. uh, of all of the other things you could have dabbled in, like going into the trades, like you, you purposely chose a hard road to hoe. Yeah. And so my question is, what drew you that direction? Because you, you, you don't get into the trades because it was cool to run a machine for a day. I mean, you actively chose to go work hard. What is the draw for that? So I like the completion aspect of it. So there's in our business, it's sort of like painting the golden gate bridge. It's never over. There's never a finish. Right. And that's why people have, there's no exit strategy in the music industry. People either die or, you know, people just stop showing up at their gigs. Right. Yeah. There's not. And so for me, um, I love the fact that here's a job and you start it and you do a good job and then it's finished. Yeah. And I, I enjoy the, I enjoy the completion aspect of it. But the other part of it was I did not want my children to see me just sitting around playing Xbox at my house. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't want them to see me just like investing in some little company and, you know, just overseeing something. Like I wanted them to see actual uh, dedication and physical uh, exertion. Uh, and they see me come home like wrecked, like yeah. cut up, yeah. like covered in dirt. And, and I, I want them to, to see that ethic. Right. And it's not because I need money and it's not because it's because there's pride in work. Yeah. Right. And we're better if we are contributing within our community. And the other part of it is, is I, I don't, I've always disagreed with sort of this weird stigma people have for people that are in the trades. Like, like, like I, I defy you to do what some operators do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I defy you to put in the amount of work and the, 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 the consistency of work that 
people in the trades do, right? Because there is no, you know what? This has to be done. Yeah. Right. Like if it's not going to get done unless you do like, it. Like, like, like if, if the guys in the, that do the electrical work didn't show up, like the, the whole, our society would fall apart oh, yeah. 100%. quickly. Like, Absolutely. you know what I mean? Like if you didn't have the guys that are willing to dive into the ditch and fix that pipe that broke, like, guess what, man? The whole city doesn't have water yeah. today. And what do you think your kids are learning by watching this and working around on your farm and taking them out onto jobs? What's it been like? Has there been any light bulbs that's clicked with one of your kids going, this is a, this is a career I could have dad. Or my, my, oldest, I don't want. <laughs> dude, my oldest son could easily, he gets it. Like I can see him moving into this and I, and I purposely, you know, anticipate him taking over at some point, but my middle son wouldn't do any of this at all ever. Yeah. Like I remember I told you guys this story oh, about, silk him. Fence. Yep. about I yep. had him helping me dig a silt fence and about 20 <laughs> yards in, he was sitting at the edge of the ditch crying real tears. <laughs> and I was like, buddy, this isn't for you, <laughs> but, but he could sit at a computer and help design, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. his thing. So, but, it, but you have to throw, you have to throw every everybody out there and, and figure out what, what inspires them. Right. Um, it, it, but to me, the challenge of, of, of approaching something that is hard to do and having the determination to do it is the reward, well right? Said. There's no, there's no, you know, every, money comes and goes, right? Like I'm yeah. not, I'm not interested in doing something easy. I want to, I want to solve a problem, right? I want to, I want to try something that not everybody can do that, that, that by force of will and determination can make the difference. Yeah. Right. And not a lot of, not a lot of vocations have that, right? There's a lot of things you can, you know, I can force of will and determination. I want to be a, a chemical engineer, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't have that. That's not, I, going, I feel like, sorry, go ahead. Now, now going backwards, does FA, you're saying you guys do demo days. Is that for like the younger generations to get in there, to train them and let them feel and see what they could possibly go into in the future? Yeah. In that specific case, we were demoing at uh, Clemson university right. in South Carolina. Uh, very close to where uh, Edwin uh, lives. And uh, our goal at that time was uh, awareness. We wanted to, uh, you know, talk to younger generations about this industry, about this type of equipment, about the opportunities. And so we went in there, we did a, a presentation in a big classroom, um, took a lot of questions, et cetera. And then in the afternoon, we went out there in the field and we ran a few machines, uh, PT-300 and a couple of subsoilers, key steers. I believe there was an excavator as well. Right. And uh, and so since then, I think that was about four years ago, approximately. Since then, they've been asking us to uh, come, back, come and back and do more presentations. They come see us, uh, some of the trade shows as well. They bring the kids down to Moultrie, Georgia, for instance, at the Sun Belt. And they spend some time with us in, at the booth and you know, they want another presentation. Yeah, so, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, the same guy Edwin was talking about that he ended up hiring, he actually interned with us for a summer as well. So he was <laughs> he, he, he bought in 100%. So and, and I sent him to school to be a, um, the, you know, to do the licensing. Like he, he would come out uh, and and check the boxes for uh, environmental stuff. And so you know, he, you know, he was he he got he got the full. Uh, he ran the gamut, right? So he he has a a full basket of knowledge, and all he had to do is ask. 
Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's why it's like the younger generation, like, man, go, go the apprentice world's lives right and like when i bought my first bus i was probably 18 i didn't know how to drive it i went to this guy that owned a bus company and just asked him nicely if he would teach me how to drive the bus and he spent a weekend teaching me how to drive the bus like if you your ability to succeed in life is in direct relation to your ability to ask for help yeah Yeah. to genuinely just nicely ask someone for help everyone will help you so kind of on that, on the vein of, I, I do want to dip back real quick because I had a question I wanted to ask you about your kids. Uh, artists tend to think about things differently. And and as an artist, do you feel like this, the school system right now is very much geared to, you're going to figure out what you want to do at 18 years old. You're going to go to college and you're going to learn how to do it. Do you feel like your perspective has kind of loosened the reins to where you are more comfortable with your kids saying, go out there and try some stuff and, and discover who you are. Yeah. They don't have any, there's no expectation if they're, you know, college is not like the next thing you're doing unless, so they all play sports. And and so there's a little bit of the, if you can go to college for free and play that sport for fun, you should definitely do (laughs) that. Right. That just, but, but it's not, they've, they've seen me be involved in a lot of different things entrepreneurially. And, and they also know we've talked, uh, at length about how unless you need a certification as an engineer or a doctor you know that that's really the only case that you're going to have to go to college sure. but as far as uh being a effective at, at doing something you just have to ask yeah and do yeah. and people will train you and the only thing you really have to do is be a dependable human being right yeah. if you do what you say you're going to do and show up on time and like for me it like the biggest battles we have are you better not be late yeah. like if you say you're going to be somewhere <laughs> you be, need to be there five minutes early and and they're there right yeah. so it's that's a big thing. I feel for like me. we've slipped away in society a little bit of just the rabbit holes that you're talking about the way you were raised. Cause that was my experience growing up and then just being on time and the ethic and the quality and being a true human being to who you are is kind of pushed away to the wayside these days. Like it's not expected just to be there on time, like 15 minutes late. It's okay. Or they're on the telephone or they're like, Hey, I don't understand this. Well, the only way to get into doing it is, digging into it and learning and it's yeah. like motivate them well get in there and attempt it i don't want to go down a political hole no. or anything but <laughs> but i feel like a lot of the issues we have talking about punctuality talking about how we talk to each other online talking about a lot of the issues that we're seeing right now really boils down to we've lost respect for each other yep. yes. there isn't your your time is not worth me showing up on time right right and that's well and that's the word yeah there's and one of the things I've I've learned too, the music industry is a little bit different. There, there's a lot of cutthroat stuff and sort of you know the ugly belly of the business side of it. But the the paradigm in the in the trades of of people getting stiffed and weird like billing stuff. Like I was a little un. I didn't. I knew that existed, but when I got into it and it started happening with me, I was it's like, real. well, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not participating in this. Yeah. Like, I'm not just going to let you not pay me for this gig we're right. going to do. Like, that's not how this works. You right? know, even Edwin McCain 
has to fight for a little bit of hundred percent. No, like a hundred percent. Like I've had, I've, but, but the, my, my failure, if I'm picking out the things I've done wrong is like, I have to learn how to not over schedule, not say yes to too many things where you get, that's hard to do. Oh, that was my well, biggest problem when I first started my own company. Just, right. I was saying yes to everything. And also I'm like, one man. Yeah. I yeah. can't be everywhere, but I right. sure as hell I was, yeah. but well, I, I wasn't getting anything done. Well, <laughs> but, I even blew it with you guys for the, the awards dinner thing. Like I had agreed to do too many jobs and I was in the mulcher and I, I like, like got my dates wrong and missed a, a banquet that I was going to come to, to go to be with them. <laughs> right? like, show up at your doorstep no, and take your heads jackass. away. Like it was a jackass <laughs> move. Right. And I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh my God, how did I blow that? But yeah. it's, it's easy to get like, t like target locked trying to finish jobs. And you, and you, you just, I, you know, that's a, that is a big, that's my, if I have a, an Achilles heel, it's, it's that right. Yeah. It's like yeah. getting too target locked and forgetting uh, that I've agreed to do too many things, right? It, it like, occurs to me you don't you don't want to double cross Giorgio. He's got them Italian no, connections. No, That's why he's, he's, he's comfortable out of here. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 listen, man, I'm a hair away from never being hurt. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Giorgio, digging back into your guys's product and your company a little bit, let's dive into what goes in behind the scenes on constructing and building some of these heads and the performance that you kind of set the bar at for yourself, which almost sets the industry standard. Absolutely. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, the company always reinvested since day one, always reinvested, you know, the profit into the company again to especially R and D. I mean, we're big and we are known uh, for our R and D. And as a matter of fact, we do set the industry standards. Thanks for saying that earlier. You're welcome. Um, so we have a pool of engineers there, you know, smart guys from a younger kid, middle age, and experienced guys. But the most important input when we do develop a new machine or we do changes and et cetera, et cetera, is coming from our customers, from, from, from the field, all right? And we are here, these three people sitting at this table, we bring a lot of ideas and, and, and a lot of suggestions to the company because we do talk to the people that operate the machines. Um, we are boots on the ground kind of people. Um, myself as well, you know, um, I don't care about my title. I could be sitting in my office and, <clears throat> you know, uh, giving directions over the phone. I don't do that. Um, boots on the ground kind of guy. Last week I was in Tennessee at the trade show. The week before I was in, in Texas on a demo. I'm out there every day. And uh, the ownership as well is boots on the ground. Diego, uh, he has an engineering background. Uh, when they originally founded the company, Diego was the guy behind the product, you know, developing the product, uh, testing the product talking to the customers, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the, that's the um, successful part. That what makes us successful, basically, we are boots on the ground, bottom line. And, and Lee can speak to this a lot more because if I'm out there like five days a week, he's out there seven days a week. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you want to touch on that, Lee? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the, the best benefits of, of working with uh, FAE, for FAE, with Giorgio, um, with guys like Edwin is that, you know, you have the flexibility and not only the flexibility, but you're, you know, I'm expected, but 
your job is to make sure that we are making our customers happy and the flexibility and the responsibility all go hand in hand and Giorgio allows us to go out there and do what we need to do to make that happen and you know you know he asked earlier about having Giorgio having Edwin on speed dial it was cool being on Edwin's speed dial there for a while because <laughs> when he was running it was like having a regular guy which he is but I mean he was communicating with me on a regular basis like hey man I'm running this head but what about this what about that and yeah it's just those relationships with you know with the guy I work for plus the guys in the field to be able to have those relationships across the table just makes it so much more rewarding. But to have a staff back in the factory that put all those things in play, I mean, if you go look at a 2008 UML SSL and the ones you guys saw yesterday, um, all those changes were done by our engineers, but they were driven from the field. And that that right there says everything it can say. Well, I thought it was amazing, you know, when we were trying to hook up the head on, su- on a Sunday. You know, we're just goofing around on our own time and something we couldn't figure out, speed up. Called yeah. you, you, you gave us. And the part the showed up yeah. this morning. Yeah. The yeah. lowdown and everything. It's like, you know, you're like, oh, well, you know, I'll figure out how to get it to you. You're like, well, we got plenty of time before we need it. Yeah. Need it. You know, yeah. and next thing you know what? It's there. At his door, step at six o'clock in the morning, you know. Yeah. And some of this <laughs> stuff. And you answer your phone on a Sunday, you know. Yeah. yeah. And some of the stuff when I, we were down at the trade show there talking to you, you're willing to put your head up with the pro- proclaim behind your backing of we will service this product we will stand behind our product and we will walk side by side with you being a contractor in the industry, even though you go through the distributors into dealerships. But what's even more interesting when I was talking to you is if you have a issue going on with one of these heads, you guys personally want to get your hands on it and bring it back to your shop. Absolutely. We, we ran into some uh, situation like that sometimes that we really do. We want to see first stand, you know, um, of course, we do have an extended dealer network across the country, and we we do provide a premium product. So we are very selective uh, when we choose a dealer mm-hmm. that we want to work with. We want a, a dealer that can represent our company, our name, our brand, and our product. Uh, so we're very, really, very selective. So normally the dealers are out there in the field, but if there is something that happens that is unusual, we want to uh, really be hands on and see first, you know, firsthand and understand, trying to understand what happened and find a quick solution, report that to engineering, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we use our dealers a lot, uh, not just uh, like a, a channel of distribution, but for feedback, for support, product support, uh, supplying parts, uh, getting feedback from the market. You know, the the dealer is the biggest asset Mm -hmm. that a company like us can have. Yeah. So, well, I was gonna kind of say, does that kind of lead in, my question for you guys has always been, as a manufacturer, do you ever kind of reach the pinnacle that you're like, okay, we're good, we've arrived? Or what is the process as you guys continue to develop new iterations and how does that happen? How does that come about? So you, you never arrive. We uh, we won the uh, uh, monopoly of the market, sure. <laughs> if you want to say sure. that, right? Um, and we will continue to set up new dealers in different area and for different products. We never put all our eggs in one basket, That's per se. Smart. But we want to diversify in everything we do. We diversify the product. We diversify the distributor network. Uh, we diversify the markets, et cetera, et cetera. So we will continue to set up new dealers and expand our dealer network for sure. How did, how did some of the Sonic, that's on the wording on the head, how did some of this get 
evolved because obviously your recovery head on the, the speed on the head is phenomenal. And the recovery time is just amazing. How did this? Well, for the listeners, what is the yeah, what Sonic? Is the Sonic? Yeah. yeah, touch on that, and then how did this come evolve? Like, what was the process? A little bit on the backstory. I'll give a little introduction, and then I'll let Lee uh, develop that. So we wanted to come out with something that was different and better. And, and be different basically from everything that is out there. Uh, like I said um, probably earlier, FA was the inventor of the uh, ski steer head, you know, in 1996. And then after that, everybody else came out with one. You know, we are always a step ahead, but, you know, also other, other companies are kind of fast developing new products. So yeah. we, we said we need to come out with something that really going to make us different, more productive, you know, that nobody can catch up so quickly. Uh, so we we came out with the Sonic and Lee can expand on technical side of it. Yeah, so you know when I came in to this uh, industry or this company 15 years ago, the standard thing was a f fixed gear pump. You know, whatever you put to it, that's what you got out of it. There yeah. was no real adjustment except for the pulleys. Um, then we went to the v v VT motor, the two-speed, which you guys are familiar with from our older units yeah. and uh, – and other manufacturers, which I, I like to call it like an automatic four-wheel drive. You know, it's, you're booking along high rotor speed, low torque, all of a sudden you sense a little resistance and boom, we automatically shift to that four-wheel drive, high torque, low speed. That's kind of how the VT model worked. Um, well, the Sonic is, is even more uh, amazing because it's, it's always changing. So what the Sonic does where the VT is like an on-off switch, if you will, the, uh, the Sonic almost works as like, if you will, a, a rheostat dimmer in your room, you know? Interesting. You turn your lights on and you turn them off. You know, mm -hmm. that's the VT. The Sonic is not only like a rheostat where you can adjust those lights just to where you want them, but it's almost like it automatically does it based on what you need. So the Sonic is always sensing what's going on in the head and, 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 and moving that swash plate of that motor to a certain point that you always obtain the highest rotor speed, but with the maximum torque. So it's... It's just a whole game changer right now as far as the uh, industry goes. And not only is it more productive, which we say 30, but we, we feel like it's much more than that. We're just trying to be conservative. But it's also a lot better for these carriers because yeah. anybody that runs these carriers know hydraulic fluid that's moving at 40 gallons a minute and stops, stops as is heat. Yeah. Yeah. So with the Sonic, not only do you not stop as much, but you recover almost in an instant once you do stop. How do you, how do you plan with the future with everybody going to – Bigger horsepower, bigger pumps, and the machines keep getting bigger. How does this kind of play into your guys' equipment? So the one thing I will say that I think FAE does different than a lot of our competitors is we we have a lot a lot more size ranges of heads than some competitors do. A lot of competitors may take this one head and say, okay, this thing can go on a 70 horse or it can go on a 220 horse. All we got to do is change a motor. Yep. Yeah, That don't work, man. I mean, yeah. you can't take that frame of that unit – it's almost like We're saying a you bigger can, monster and it's still gonna exactly hold so up. so we 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 as we go up in size we go up in durability we go mm -hmm. up in strength um, everything stays the same as far as the way we work the head but it's almost like an F one fifty and an F four fifty you know you're not going to get the same power and the same work out of both those units and I think the one thing that FAE does different is they de we definitely have a lot more models to fit certain carriers and our ranges are a lot smaller. So those units that fit those carriers are there for longevity, durability, and production. Yeah, and you guys don't just, I mean, I don't want the impression you guys just make mulching heads. What other kind of attachments do you guys make? Also carriers, correct? 
With make also care <clears throat> on the attachment side, we have a very wide uh, range of attachment because we do uh, four shoot theaters as well, stamp grinders, rock crusher, etc. Um, and then, like you said, we also make uh, carriers. Um, the, the PT line, we go from 160 horsepower and then we move up to a 325 horsepower mm-hmm. and 475 horsepower. So for these carriers, we make multiple attachments, so they're more versatile. So we offer that a advantage to the to the customers that other manufacturers do not offer as a matter of fact you do see other carriers out there different brands that they use the uh, fa attachments because those manufacturers do not produce certain type of attachments like yeah, solder for so, shoot dealers and, yeah. and whatnot uh, so yeah we uh consider ourselves the one-stop shop yeah. for the land management uh equipment and yeah, we're one of the few guys too that make the carrier and the head a lot of guys will make the carrier, buy the head, make the head, buy the carrier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ours is a package deal that's made to go together. Now, what goes into, let's talk about some of your carriers and stuff. Obviously, these are dedicated units with big horsepower. What goes into building this beast of a machine right now? Like, what are you looking for when you set the bar and expectation? And you're like, if I would to buy this, I want it to preform like X. What, what goes into this to set the bar and standard that high? So, so the first thing that we like to do is get the, the hydraulic people, the engine people, the care, uh, undercarriage people all together and make sure that we're talking about apples and apples. Yep. You know, we don't want to put a hydraulic system in and drive it with an engine that's not the right size. So yeah. the first thing we do is look at market. Okay, what market, what do we need to find the market for? Was it 150? Is it 200? That's the first thing we do. Then we get together with all the different manufacturers of other components that we purchase, and we put together a team group effort on putting together the unit that's going to provide the most power with the with the most efficiency and make sure that all the components that go together with that thing match up correctly. There's a lot of guys that are now making compact track loaders almost, if you will, that are up to 160 horsepower. Yeah, it's unreal. Um, it's unbelievable. And, 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 they're not even, and some of them, a lot of them don't even have dedicated cooling. They don't have dedicated mulching pumps. So they're not really a dedicated carrier, but they're getting into that horsepower range where they're... And what, they're what horsepower range is that where you would start getting a cooler involved with this machine? I mean, when we first went to our smallest dedicated unit, we went up to 165 horsepower, right? And now we're at 173.5. So anything 160 above, I automatically think that you should be in the area of having dedicated pumps, dedicated cooling. Everything should be dedicated for that particular unit. And why is that? Why would you want to go with a dedicated pump, dedicated cooling for those machines? Well, if you take it, let's say you take a unit that's, you know, we'll we'll just say... I don't know, 160, for example. You take a 160 unit that's using combined flow, if you will, okay? And you take a 160 horsepower unit that's got a dedicated mulching pump, a dedicated travel pump. Everything is set for what it needs. Whenever you're moving, your head's not making a difference because you're, you're, you're putting dedicated flow to that head no matter what else is going on. Yeah. On top of that, which is more important, is you're also cooling that oil in a matter that you're not going to have to worry about if you're overworking that machine that you have to be so concerned about overheating issues, which can easily cause to damage or downtime and everything else. So the package of a dedicated unit altogether is just, you know, it's a more productive unit, but everything is put together in, in the mindset of this is, this is meant to do what it's yep. doing. You know what I mean? So it kind of occurs to me as an attachment manufacturer, it's got to be frustrating because you've got a manufacturer a over here that's they're, they're going to do this with their machine and manufacturer B over here. They're going to do this with their machine and you've got to 
somehow make something Figure that's going to be in for the both. middle. Yeah. Could you kind of talk about that process? Because I know like uh, cap machines, a lot of times they'll have aftermarket cooling packages that, that you can throw onto it right. for mulching applications, but Case doesn't. Uh, I don't think Bobcat necessarily does. How do you work around all of that? So a couple things that we've done in the past, again, is the VT motor. The VT motor is, is a motor that you've always been able to mechanically adjust to that carrier. Okay. So let's say we're going on a machine over here that has 34 gallons a minute. We can adjust that motor for that 34 gallons a minute and get the proper rotor speed. All right. Now we're going to take that same head and put it on something with 50 gallons a minute. You know, now we can still do the same thing. Um, another thing we also do that we've done for years is we also provide uh, uh, additional cooling capacity. So we have two forms of doing that. We have a cooler that goes on the non-drive side of the machine. So it actually mounts inside of the head. Interesting. So it can bounce around <laughs> from carrier to carrier and then the cooling package stays with it. But for these dedicated guys, like uh, his 100, I think. Uh, yeah, I got a sexy uh, sexy cooler on the roof yeah. of my PT 100. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Actually, that's what got me. That's how I recovered it from being stolen because I recognized the machine with the cooler. I was yeah. the only, you know, 90s era PT 100 with a <laughs> cooler on the yeah, yeah. 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 Now, it's interesting. You're in the, obviously, you're one of the, your equipment is one of the first things that hit the ground running when it comes to land clearing, how does the wet soil play into the grounds per square inch? Like with the tracks and do you got flotation tires for the rubber tire machines that are out there? How does this kind of play into your guys' equipment or realm? Because they're the first ones in. It's not like you could go, Oh, there's a soft spot right there. You kind of get it by feel, but yeah, obviously you <laughs> you're kind of playing some of this into this industry, right? Right. So on that were uh, track machines, basically we try to make them as uh, with it as low ground pressure as possible. And we do offer different uh, track width, oh, okay. uh, pads, pads width as well, yeah. based on the project, based on the uh, application, the terrain, et cetera, et cetera. So we determine what type of tracks, pads to to offer for that specific application. Well, I've taken one of your machines underwater and it did fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate on that a little bit. It has submarine mode. That was, yeah. not, that was not the LGP option. <laughs> that has, has a straw coming out so I can breathe under yeah. it. I remember but, back in the day when the oil and gas was big in northern Texas, uh, those area, the northern Texas area was very, very wet. The only machines they could bring into the woods were track machines. And uh, so different type of machines will get stuck very easily there, et cetera. We were the last one to get stuck if uh, the situation was getting really bad. <laughs> but yeah, we designed machines, our engineer, uh, you know, put a lot of effort in the developing machines and distributing the weight in such a way where the ground pressure is as low as possible. But also being able to work on it in the field, right? So that's one of the things that I noticed immediately coming from a machine that was really hard to work on in the field. Absolutely. Everything with that PT, the old uh, uh, Terex machine that I started with, there was nothing easy. Yeah. There's no easy way to change the starter. There's no easy way to change a battery. There's nothing, none of that, right? And so with the Prime Tech machines, like... Um, you can manually lift the cab up off and get access to the pumps like with plenty of room if you've got to change out a hose or change out or, and all the general maintenance stuff is 
absolutely as easy as humanly possible because you know that unless it's easy that you know an operator might skip going in and clear absolutely blowing out a cooling pack or or changing a filter or whatever so so all of those things like makes such a huge difference because that's the difference between adding an extra hour or an extra day yeah to a job Uh, that's great because if you're if you think about some of the stuff that's so compact it was just the thought process to get it out and put it on the market. But the maintenance side yeah. was just completely lacking. Like you have to get your hand in there and service this machine right. or dig out the debris that this thing's going to overly collect. Right. 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 That's like, I mean, um, in general, our design is, we focus on our design also f- to make an easy access for, for servicing mm-hmm. in, in general, either it is a multi head or a self-propelled unit. Um, we think about the real situation in the field when somebody has to operate, uh, service the machine. Right? Uh, if you open the engine compartment on our PT-475, for instance, you can literally walk uh, or oh, wow. sit in the uh, engine mm, compartment. And uh, probably, it, not, it has probably not me, I'm 6'3 or something, but... <laughs> it, it has fold-down stairs. It's, it has fold-down ladders. Really, yeah. So you walk right up in there. Yeah. 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 Wow. Very accessible, yes. Yeah. Now, the thing that stood out the other night when we were at dinner... How did this head come to this size that has to fit? When we were talking about over in Italy, you said this head became like six feet or seven feet wide. How did this all come evolve back in the day? Uh, we always joke about about that because uh, uh, where we are located in Italy, we are up on the mountains, up on the Alps, and the roads are really very narrow and small. And you can only imagine a, a team wheeler with a flatback coming down there with a PT-475 is very challenging. But, um, you know, at the beginning we were thinking, I mean, is that machine going to be able to get down to the valley and, and go to the port? Um, now, we, we joked about that, but yes, we... Uh, the managed. machine is as, as wide as the widest street yeah. in Fondo, yeah. Italy. <laughs> yeah, basically they have to close the, yeah. the people, lane, the cabs. People got to close their doors when we come <laughs> yeah. driving. You know, some well, engineer coming through. We got to yeah, get ready. You know, some engineer over there in Italy has a little post-it note with yeah. a dimension on it that he's like, this is the max dimension. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a building at the top of the mountain yeah. and he had to go down to get it out. Exactly. And if you're ever going to the airport, you don't want to follow that damn truck, let me tell you. <laughs> well, and you well, definitely hey guys, don't want to be in front of it either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure having you guys on. It really has. We appreciate it. it. This has been great. What we do, we close out our podcast with asking our guests, what, if you could change anything, what would your dream jobs be? Go ahead, Lee. Man, um, you know, I think I'd like to be a uh, fishing captain on a charter boat. Ah, there yeah. you go. There uh, we I go. Could, I could deep sea fish it or write a song and become a... Uh, That's true. What about you, Giorgio? I'll be a pilot and go selling FA machines with my plane. There you right. go. <laughs> and the one and only. God, that's a tough one, man. You can't, you can't choose Rockstar, by the no, way. No, no. You know, it's, <laughs> you're going to have to cut your whole life out. Yeah, what would it's you hard. be? It's hard. It's, uh, that's a hard one. Um, Golfer. I love it. He's fumbling here. No, no, man. I mean, secretly, I would have been, I'm sort of Rudy Rudiger. I would have played football. 
I'm gonna play. Oh, there you go. Oh, dude, right I just for I, the Detroit Lions. All the desire yeah, right. and none of the talent, <laughs> man. See, I almost expected like the opposite answer because all everyone's like normal answer is like, I want to be a rock star, and it would have been great if you're like, I would have been an accountant. Like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I want to be a dentist. <laughs> there you go. No, I, mean, I just I played. I was I I was one of those high school football kids, and like I just I just didn't have that didn't have the talent. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, All guys. the will. That was awesome. So, yeah. so real quick as we start to wrap up here, uh, Giorgio, what's the best way if someone wants to know more about FAE products or maybe get a hold of someone, what, what would be their best way to do that? Check out our website, uh, www.fae-group.com. There's all sorts of information there, including our uh, info email address and our phone number. Um here in Georgia and uh, we are always available. Give and us a call. you can put them in contact with the dealer close by? Abso- absolutely. That's what we do. We uh, identify the closest dealer to the customer, put them in contact and help the dealer and the customer to get together and walk to the final decision as far as what type of machine they may need. Perfect. Thank awesome. You. Thanks well, thank a lot, guys. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Pleasure. As always, check us out on social media. If you're on an Apple device, give us a rating, give us a review. It helps us out. We'll catch you guys on the next episode of Sweat and Grind. Peace, guys. Thank you for having us.